You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan is NCBA's Vice President of Government Affairs. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year on the way. Um, And speaking of the new year, this is actually a good chance for us to look back on 2019. Uh, I know we get sort of caught up in the day-to-day and sort of lose sight of where we've been. Um, but we did put out a list of policy priorities at the beginning of the year. It comes out of our annual convention uh, every year, and we have, you know, sort of a roadmap of things that we want to accomplish, at, you know, as the year proceeds. And, um, you know, you sort of look back on the list that, that we put out at the beginning of the year, you see a lot of green check marks. You kind of forget. You get lost in the day-to-day. There's the impeachment stuff still, you know, just sort of swirling around there. It's, that's all you hear about. I, when I, the morning... Uh, after the president was impeached, I opened up the Washington Post, and it was page after page after page of impeach- impeachment news, which really isn't going to affect anybody's day-to-day other than maybe him. Um, uh, but nothing, literally nothing in the entire front section, it was about 25 pages, on policy issues that actually affect our producers and affect people across the country. So um, tell us, let's start with trade. It seems like we made a lot of progress on trade this year. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the some of the progress we've made on the trade front and opening foreign markets. Well, you know, I mean, it, first of all, it has been, it's been an exhausting year in a good way. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of progress in a lot of areas. Uh, th- this office usually has people sprinting down the hall with papers in their hands at any one time or another. Um, but starting with trade, this has been uh, a momentous year in, in trade for the cattle industry. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think there have been points in this administration where we've had to kind of go on a leap of faith that the president was going to have our back and was going was to execute on some of these priorities for us. Um, but, you know, here we sit about ready to go into the new year with uh, equal access into that Japanese mor- market that's so important for our producers, our largest export market, uh, finally putting us on par with those with those competitors uh, around the world. Um, you know, the, the the prospect of increased access to the Chinese market, um, uh, you know, coming online uh, with, with potentially, uh, uh, you know, the removable of, uh, of some of those uh, uh, onerous non-tariff trade barriers. Um, you know, the, 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 the access to the European Union, which has been a longstanding fight that uh, Kent uh, Bacchus has been working on for, uh, for years now uh, uh, to, to gain access to that market. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it just speaks to the, the, the incredible work that we're doing as an industry to to find those foreign destinations for our beef um, as our producers in, increasingly grow the quality of, of what we put out. I mean, we, we grow the best beef in the world in the U.S. What we're hearing around the world is those consumers uh, are seeking that out. They want U.S. beef. They want what we produce. And as we kind of break down those barriers, to, uh, tariff and non-tariff alike, uh, uh, to get access to those markets, it's only going to mean a bigger pie for us here in the U.S. All right. Banner year, as you said, on on trade policy and and increasing our access to foreign markets, international markets. A little closer to home before you you, uh, moved up. Speaking of momentous years, (laughs) you moved up uh, to to the VP role running the D.C. office. Before you did that, um, you were running the the Public Lands Council and you did a lot of uh, Western issues. So let's bring it a little closer to home now and talk about some of the progress that we made on on land use and some of the Western issues. Well, we're continuing a, a strong push for that regulatory change uh, for, for our Western members. Obviously, that's been something that's been near and dear to my heart uh, for my entire time at PLC and at NCBA. Uh, and we have seen a lot of movement on that on that front. 
Um, you know, we're close to a delisting of the gray wolf nationwide, 48 state delisting. Uh, that's a scientifically backed listing that uh, uh, we should have seen years ago. Um, and, and we are finally looking down the uh, uh, down the scope of a, a potential win on that front, you know, uh, from the administration. Um, also, the modernization of the Endangered Species Act, those those rulemakings that we saw back in August, we were there for the signing with Secretary Bernhardt um, and uh, uh, Administrator Wheeler from EPA and others uh, at the Department of Interior. You know, we're, we're in court on those now where we knew we would be, but that just means that you're, you're making changes that probably need to be made. If you flesh those, uh, you know, those radical environmental litigants out of the, out of the woodwork um, with, their, with their teams of lawyers, that's because you've made changes that probably needed to be made. Um, so that's a, that's a fight that we're, uh, we're taking right to the court system to make sure that we, we can preserve those changes and, and allow that benefit to take hold for producers across the country. Um, you know, and, and we're also looking at uh, some movement on, on wild horses and burrows and, and how we how we manage those. Um, you know, it was it was kind of unorthodox for us to craft the kind of bargain that we have with some of these radical uh, animal rights groups. But we've managed to find some common ground. Uh, we secured an extra twenty one million dollars in the appropriations package um, that's going to go to increased gathers of those horses and, and reducing that on range population, increased use of fertility control. Um, you know, and, and the idea here is let's get some resources behind getting these numbers down, because otherwise we're going to see producers go out of business in the areas where these horses are, are, are uh, exploding in population. And, and we finally have people's attention and we finally have some movement on that front. And boy, is that encouraging to see after years and years of spinning our wheels there. Um, it, you know, it, it's been uh, it's been a long time coming. We charted this course out at the beginning of this administration um, and, and, and we're finally seeing that stuff come to fruition. We're expecting uh, grazing regs in the new year. Um, so that's another humongous win for for this industry to get some some changes going all the way back to our fights over range reform 94. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind just on the PLC front alone this year. Right. Um of course, environmental stewardship, sustainability has always been a big issue for our industry, uh, an issue that was not necessarily an official part of our policy priorities at the beginning of this year, um, became one um, when the so-called Green New Deal uh, was introduced uh, at the beginning of the new Congress. Um, it promptly went down in flames in the U.S. Senate. Even the people that co-sponsored it wouldn't support it. Um, that's a whole other podcast you can probably go back <laughs> and, and listen to if you're uh, bored this uh, holiday season. Um, but talk about some of the other um, sort of th progress that we made on, on, on the climate change issue. Well, what felt like a threat coming out of the box, you know, the, the talk of farting cows and the in the, the elusive secret draft, you know, that was that was scrapped early on. Um, and, and the fact that the Green New Deal really never got off the ground, we took as a real opportunity because I think every producer listening to this podcast right now knows that um, their story is not being accurately portrayed in the media. And, and that Green New Deal was a reflection of that. Right. It's it's become in vogue in, in certain, you know, certain uh, cities and 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 uh, uh, urban communities to to bash beef and to act like beef is the root of all uh, of all climate evil in the world. When in reality, we know that that cattle production is a solution to climate change. And we, we have the data to back that up. And we have the EPA uh, affirming that we don't have a measurable impact on on climate change. And we have we have numbers to show that we're only two percent of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and when you look at those numbers in comparison to cattle production in other parts of the world, we're a beacon. We're a model of what the rest of the world should be following in their in their production methods. And, and even if that's not a fashionable thing to say in, in Finland 
or or you know wherever these wherever these shadowy European uh, uh, environmental cabals uh, exist, and they do exist in all of these odd places. Um, um, that's the facts. And and so uh, as we as we kind of have have seized on that and started to educate people on Capitol Hill, um, it's been amazing how many meetings we've had with Democratic members of Congress over the over the past year um, that that you know we see their head nodding as we talk through those numbers, and then they're they're getting it and they're hearing it from their producers and their constituents at home as well. Um, and and what we've seen is this this particular conversation bleeds into almost every issue we deal with here in Washington D.C. Um, and, and and I know uh, you know I had an op-ed on this a few months back. Um, sustainability is a word that, that that makes people nervous, and and they recoil from it because it, it, it always feels accusatory when you when you talk about it in in the context of our industry. Um, but we're looking at it as an opportunity, and and that's that's a, a posture that we're going to continue. We're we're on offense here. Um, we we are not about to apologize for the way we produce our product, um, but we do want to make sure people understand what a good story we have to tell. Um, so uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, if you are a supporter of the Green New Deal, I think that uh, it, to say that it crashed and burned would imply that it lifted off, and that's probably giving it too much credit. Um, but but we are going to go ahead and, and and seize on the opportunity to educate people on that front. All right. And of course, one big issue that everybody likes to talk about that is related um, to the climate change issue is the issue of fake meat. Um, And uh, can you talk a little bit about the introduction of bipartisan legislation in both the House and the Senate called the Real Meat Act? Um, I mean, really, it is a partisan environment in D.C. and getting bipartisan legislation and even introduced in both chambers is, I would consider, a victory. Oh, it it is. In this in this environment back here uh, to, to put a bill together and and find co-sponsors for that bill and have the, the kind of courageous leadership we've seen from Congressman Roger Marshall from Kansas and uh, Congressman Anthony Brindisi from upstate New York on the House side. Uh, Senator Deb Fisher, obviously from Nebraska, is a champion for our industry. And Senator Cortez Masto from Nevada, uh, uh, you know, amongst other co-sponsors on that growing list uh, to to have jumped on board and said, yeah, this is this just makes sense for 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 the constituents in my state and for folks across the country to make sure that they know what they're buying. And, and, you know, these these fake meat products, these plant based products have have experienced this sort of, um, you know, fawning press coverage over the last couple of years. Obviously, we bristle around this office every time we we see the guy in the cowboy hat on the Burger King ad eating a, you know, a fake meat burger um, and acting like he likes it, which, you know, having tried one, I guarantee you that guy ought to get an Oscar for his for his performance in that commercial. Um, but, you know, making sure these products are labeled properly. Um, and making sure that if they are going to simulate the taste, texture, and appearance of our product, um, as opposed to a bean burger that you know is a bean burger when you're eating it, then they ought to have to put imitation on that on that label. And we do that by making sure that we codify the definition of beef in in, in federal statute, um, and and make sure that we we have that uh, standard of identity in place. Um, and then also we put some enforcement measures in place there to ensure that we don't go down the path that milk went down, where FDA um, was able to sit on their hands for 19 years and ignore those violations that that were in place as we watched you know almond milk and soy milk and every other kind of milk that's not milk uh, in the world uh, uh, gain prominence we're, we're not going to go down that path in the in the beef industry and and the real meat act is is a, a good kind of first salvo on the statutory front to make sure that that's the case we set that level playing field but we have to keep reminding people as well this is this product despite the media coverage is 0.05 percent of market share you know, at the end of the day, um, we're setting the table now to ensure that this doesn't become a problem down the line. Uh, but but we're not afraid to compete with this with this product. In fact, where we see competition, we're winning every time. 
Yeah, it's been a, a great year, um, and it's, it's a good time to sort of look back and, and realize how much progress we've made. Um, you guys have done a great job, and I also want to just thank all of our NCBA members who make this possible. You guys work your butts off all year long um, in the halls of Congress and within, with the administration. None of it would be possible without our dues-paying members of NCBA who, uh, who, who really support this uh, D.C. office. So thanks to everybody out there. And, Ethan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Ed, and thanks, everybody out there. We're looking forward to a, a great 2020. We have much more to work on, and, and uh, we can't wait to get to San Antonio and, and get our marching orders for the year. Yep. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org, and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.